Hey there, friends. Jay Revel here. Welcome to another edition of Bid-Am Crisis. I'm awfully glad to have you listening in today, and I'm awfully glad to be back with you after a uh, brief hiatus. Uh, we had a baby, <laughs> so uh, our world's been turned uh, upside down a little bit in the best of ways. Uh, our son, John David Revel, uh, is a few weeks old now and bringing lots of joy to uh, all of our family and friends. He's a uh, beautiful young boy, and we're already working on that golf grip, trying to get him dialed in just right. But uh, been having a lot of fun with that and uh, taking a little breather off of uh, my podcast hosting duties, but am awfully glad to make a uh, return to your ears this week with a very special episode. I have got my friend Jim Hartzell joining me on the program today. Uh, Jim is an architect by trade, but you probably know him better uh, as a golf writer, someone who has written uh, extensively about his adventures uh, across the pond in Scotland and uh, to some of the least uh, heralded places uh, that are now rising uh, uh, to a lot of people's radar. Uh, because of his work and the work of others. And uh, he's got a book out, his first book, which is something I'm just extremely eager to get my hands on. It should be in any day now. Uh, it's called The Secret Home of Golf, and it's the authorized history of Sweeten's Cove Golf Club. And for those of you who have been to Sweeten's Cove and experienced uh, the magic that that place has, you're going to want to get this book. You're going to want to read uh, these firsthand accounts that Jim has compiled uh, from Rob Collins and Tad King and all the people who are involved in making it happen and making it you know, the success that it has become today. I, I think we all can you know, agree that Sweetens has reached somewhat of a mythical status uh, in the game. And uh, This book chronicles the journey uh, from uh, a wild idea to something that uh, really has become a testament to the American dream and taking risks that, uh, that, that pay off. So Jim's done a beautiful job with the book, and, and we had a great conversation uh, about that journey, uh, about his journey in golf. We, we dove into a lot of our theories on the game, which is fun. Uh, he and I actually met for the first time at Sweetens Cove in the parking lot uh, a few years ago when uh, it was the first morning of Zach Blair's uh, original ringer event and uh, that was kind of a seminal you know moment for a lot of uh, people that were there I think and um, it, it it shaped some trajectories including Jim's and probably my own and we talked a little bit about that and and of course dove into his adventures in Scotland um, he just got back from a month-long trip there and uh, I, I, I I'll let him tell you the the details but um, it was very moving and uh, a stirring adventure, no doubt, and something that I think you'll probably read a lot more about uh, from him uh, in the not-too-distant future. But great conversation, uh, someone that I consider a good friend and uh, just just a, a wonderful person and a, and a great writer and someone who does real justice to the game of golf. So I, I'm glad to have him on the show, and I think you're going to really enjoy listening to that. Uh, as always, the show is brought to you by my friends at Imagine Golf. Uh, Imagine Golf is an app that my friend Malcolm Scoville created, and it's perfectly tailored for people who want to improve their game but maybe don't have the time or money to dedicate towards lessons or, uh, or, or practice. How about that, right? Uh, we're all losing time, it seems like. Um, and Imagine Golf has developed this app that helps you work on your mental game in three minutes a day or less. 
It only takes three minutes to listen to these audio lessons that are inspired by some of the greatest golfing minds of all time to sharpen your skills on the golf course. We might not be able to fix your swing, but we can fix the way in which you apply it. That's what Malcolm told me the other day. And I think that's brilliant. I can testify to this. Obviously, with a newborn, my golf game is, you know, really, you know, dwindling right now as far as time for practice goes. Uh, but I've actually played some of the best golf of my life earlier this summer, and I credit a lot of that to uh, the enhanced thinking that I've derived from listening to Imagine Golf every day. So, if you haven't downloaded the Imagine Golf app, I cannot recommend that enough to you. Over three hundred thousand golfers across America have already done so, and I think you should uh, join the crowd. If you dedicate three minutes a day to listening to these Magic Golf lessons, you're going to improve the way you think, which is going to improve the way you play. So definitely check that out and make sure you uh, leave a little review for my friends in Imagine Golf. Once you start using those lessons, you're going to like that. Um, speaking of reviews, I hope that you will review our podcast. Leave a little note. Tell us why you love listening. Uh, and uh, I sure do hope that I get a chance to bring you a whole lot of new and interesting voices and stories throughout the fall and beyond. I've been having some fun conversations, you know, from late nights in the hospital with the baby uh, to sitting here at home the last couple weeks and got some good stuff teed up. So excited to bring those to you uh, in the coming months. And uh, if you haven't had a chance already to go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter at midamcrisis.com, I hope you will do that as well. I'm bringing you essays, these podcasts, and other things Uh, from my life in golf that uh, I think you'll appreciate as well. So thanks as always for listening. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Jim Hartzell, author of The Secret Home of Golf. Jim. Jay. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. How are things uh, in your corner of Alabama? Well, we've been, I was expecting to come back from Scotland and go from 58 degrees to 107, but um, we've been lucky. The humidity has been low and um, it actually felt like football weather on Saturday, which I couldn't believe. I don't know how it was down in Tallahassee, but um, it had that little feel of, of football weather, which you don't normally get this time of year. So um, that's been pleasant, a pleasant yeah. surprise, actually. No doubt. I, well, I, I have, uh, I had a pleasant surprise and then I was able to carve away from our you know, newborn son and go to the football game Sunday night. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I lost a bet to Tom Coyne again, that's three in a row. Uh, but you know, it was really cool, man. It, the weather was great. Tallahassee was, you know, full of people and it was really wonderful to see that energy back again. Kind of been a while since that's, that's been, uh, in our neck of the woods, but, uh, yeah, it was nice and it's bad. You know, I'm sitting there and the weather was so good and I'm like, man, I'm, I was just debating, should I, should I have used this hall pass for golf? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've all missed football games and there's nothing like a football game in the South for sure. And, you know, I'm hoping I get to go to a couple, but, um, you know, to have it in September and it not be a hundred percent humidity and, you know, a hundred degrees is, is kind of rare. So it's, that's, that's, that's been nice. No doubt about it. I, I'm a big fan of, you know, fall for a lot of reasons, but, 
um, you know, down here in the deep South, it, that's, that's primo golf weather. You get that yeah. Indian summer afternoons when, you know, the sun's hanging around late and the temperatures start to drop a hair, um, uh, before the time changes, that's just, uh, as good as it gets around here. Yeah. That's the best time of year to play. Um, you know, no doubt. Um, same thing for us here. I mean, that's, that's my favorite time. I'll probably, I'll probably play more between now and the end of November than I have the rest of the year combined, honestly. Um, I just, cause the weather's just so good and the courses are real. It's really when the courses are in the best condition, honestly. Yeah. Um, exactly right. Well, I, you know, I, I think the first time, well, I know it, the first time I ever went to Sweeten's Cove um, was in October of maybe 17 or 18 at yeah. the, i'm trying to remember what year the first ringer was, was that, that would have been that would have been october of 18 okay well the first time i went was a year before that okay and it was on a saturday in october it was absolutely spectacular weather i never forget the feeling i pulled in the parking lot and i went what on earth have i stumbled upon here which is um really the whole way I got to having conversations with people like you and writing about golf is literally that day. I remember I got back, I got back to Tallahassee on a Monday morning, I'm sitting in a meeting. And by the time the meeting was over, I looked down and I had a whole page of notes I had scribbled down about the experience. I couldn't get it out of my head. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. It just, it felt like a, a whole new universe had unlocked in my mind. And I, you know, been kind of on this, whatever this journey is ever since. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, one of the, my favorite things in the book when I interviewed people um, was getting their, that first reaction because it's almost without fail. And granted, there's some people that aren't going to react that way. I mean, nobody likes, no, there's not 100% of people that like something, anything. But that first reaction for people when they drive up it was the same for me. And I've, I've just the countless people I've talked to. It's like, what in the world, what is this place doing out here? And uh, that's kind of the, the, the prologue to my book um, is sort of about that. And I think you may remember, I mean, you and I pulled up next to each other in the parking lot um, <laughs> and that's how we met. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just that, that first time you sort of go down that winding road and pull in that parking lot and look out there, it just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's reminiscent to me of pulling up to courses uh, in Scotland. And I know that's a, that's one of my favorite topics, but that's the feeling I got. I thought, okay, this is like pulling up to Macrahanus or Cruden Bay. And I, I kind of write about that, but it's just that, that it's all laid out before you. You can see everything you're out there and you see people in other holes having fun and laughing. And I just remember that first time hearing people laughing on the golf course. And I just, from shots that they hit and it was just so much fun. And I, I and I'm, I'm the same as you when I was driving home after that, we played, we played 36 that time we finally got there. And um, you just replay the whole thing in your head, you know, just like everything the whole way home. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that reaction is, uh, is something that I've tried to highlight in the book quite a bit with, with different people. You know, um, I'm, I'm so thrilled for you to get have the, your book coming out. I know that's a really cool feeling. Um, and it's they're, they're starting to you know sprinkle across the world as we speak. 
uh, our friends at Back Nine Press and uh, Jim Starr doing a good job helping you out on that front. Um, walk me through just the journey of how you got to where you said, uh, I think I'm going to write a book about how all this came to be. Yeah, um, I've been doing some writing and really trying to, on my own, on my own sort of blog thing, and then trying to send in articles, which I'm sure you've done to just everybody <laughs> in the world and hoping that somebody would be interested. And um, I started to have a little bit of success with that. And uh, it was really at that first ringer that you, where you were, um, which was a great event. And I still say it's one of the most fun events I've ever, yeah, ever been to in, in, in golf. And I've played in everything you can think of over the years, but um, I was, um, there were so many good people with that and so many people I've met like you and, you know, Kevin Moore and just the list goes on of, of you know, Tron, all the NLU guys, are, are, you know, that I've met through stuff like that. And um, there was something about that week and the weather was, it was in October and the weather was perfect. It was like 55 degrees, 60 degrees. Uh, the course was playing fast. And um, I just remember, at the end when they were, we, they had, you remember that there was a playoff between Tron and Ryan from London and yep. Stephen Thomas, who's one of the, whose family's one of the uh, founders of the, of the, of the course or help Rob start the course. And mm -hmm. um, anyway, that playoff was on the ninth hole and we were all sitting there watching it in various stages of maybe, maybe having a, a, a beer or two. And, um, Anyway, it was great. It was fun. I think they played the hole with a, they had to play it with a three iron or something, which is virtually impossible to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was the only club they could use. And um, anyway, we got done and, and um, Zach Blair and um, some, he said some stuff about it. And, and anyway, he turned it over to Rob Collins and Rob just gave the speech about how emotional this was for him to have these people here and, um, loving this golf course and, you know, just being the center of the golf world for a few days and just how much it meant to him. And he really had, he really broke up when he was talking. And um, I just remember thinking, you know, this is a story that, and I know people had written about, it. I know that there's a New York times story and other stuff. And, um, but I just felt like, you know, this is something that deserves a little bit more in depth. And I went home and was kind of, just a couple of weeks later, I called Rob, and I said, Hey, I got a crazy idea for you. And he said, I love crazy ideas, which he, which he does. And I said, I really, I want to write a book about Sweetens Cove and what, what you went through and how it's finally making it. And, uh, he said, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. And, um, you know, that's, that was, that was two, two and a half years ago. And it just, uh, that's how it kind of started. And it just, I didn't know what I was getting into Jay. I'd, I'd never, I'd written, you know, 3000 word stories and stuff, but I'd never taken on anything of that scope. And so, you know, it, it was a journey, a learning experience, but it's been a fun one and I've, I've loved doing it. And now that I've got it here in my hands, it's, uh, it's really great feeling. So, yeah. You know, I, I think about that weekend up there pretty frequently. Um, you're right. It, the weather was unbelievable. It was very cool in the mornings and, and into the evening. And um, I remember the sunsets like every night were just like totally on fire. And um, 
it, it felt like a watershed kind of moment to me where I, you know, I don't know if you'll ever have, I don't know. It's hard to say it this way, but I mean, you know, there was a lot of people who just spent a lot of time writing and producing content about golf, thinking about golf, um, making a living out of golf that were all kind of in many ways in their, you know, infant stages of what they were doing. And, and everyone sort of went out from that weekend and, and really a lot of people did some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, and I, I went to, I think I went to two more after that and I had a really good time. Um, but the, the first one was, is the one that I always think about mm -hmm. the because it was just, you know, there was, I, I, there was just, it was a different kind of event and, um, it was nothing like any other tournament I'd played in. Um, it was just so much fun. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think that event has inspired a lot of people. Um, you know, I can think of several there were there that have gone on to, you know, start golf companies and, and things. I mean, it just, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just kind of amazing that, um, you know, that a place like that can inspire you. And I, I think that's what really great golf architecture can do um it can really do that and um you know when you go to a place like some of the places i've been to you just you're just in awe almost of, of what's been done and you know the natural setting and you know you hit on the the the, the, the sunsets out there i mean the way that that valley is oriented which is almost straight east and west yeah it's just unbelievable in the fall especially the whole sky turns orange and red and i've never seen anything else quite like it really uh you know that kind of sunset so you know that setting that valley is special i mean what what rob created there um takes advantage of all that i mean um and you can see in the book from um i've got a before and after section of pictures which turned out really well uh, that really has the same pers perspective on each hole, like looking at number one green or where it used to be and the where it, how it is now. And you, and really in a lot of them, Jay, you almost don't even, unless you, you, you can see a tree that's still there, or you can see a mountain in the distance. It gives you a point of reference. Other than that, you're like, you don't even think you're looking at the same, the same thing. So um, it's just an amazing creation. And I, I know I've, I think, the majority of people that have gone there feel like you do and I do that um, it's just a special place to go and be with your friends and, you know, hit golf shots and, you know, have fun and not really, you know, you don't even really, a lot of times when we play up there, you know, we just play match play and, you know, whoever wins the, the hole picks the tee for the next hole and, you know, picks the flag. And um, it's just, you know, it's just, it reminds me a lot of kind of how, golf is and and you know maybe in the uk a little bit i remember the first little piece i ever wrote about sweetens for my first trip up there i called it a monument to minimalism but and i think that was misinterpreted as uh referencing the architecture because it's not a i mean it's a total creation oh yeah it's, it's you know. totally it's totally created from yeah but but to me, what what I what I meant by that was the fact that you know you're <laughs> you had a shed for a clubhouse, a gravel parking lot, you know, no real 
infrastructure, no hole signs really, or you know, no, uh, no, no, no sheds, no, uh, no, no lights, no, just no, no bells and whistles, just a really great golf course. And, and people were willing to come from all over the world to see it. And I, I just, I still think it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable that something like that exists. And, um, and it's such an incredible story to me. And I, I can't wait to dive into the book and just read even more of it. Well, I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, I tried to really, I'm, I'm really interested in construction too, but, you know, I'm, I'm an architect uh, in my, my other job. And um, I really wanted to get into with, with Rob and Tad and the guys that, were the main guy that was the head shaper, a guy called Gus Grantham mm-hmm. uh, from Florida, um, was just such a character. And I, I really wanted to hear the stories of, you know, how they built each hole and what they were thinking about and what the thought process was. Um, and I think we've gotten into, I've gotten into that pretty well. I, I, and that part of it, you know, it may be nerdy for some people, but I, I, probably not for the people that are going to get this book. They're probably going to enjoy it. But, um, you know, stuff like the between um, seven and eight, uh, there is a massive underground concrete culvert hmm. that you never would know that's there. And um, it's really the only way that they were even able to build seven and eight because, you know, that they're in a floodplain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it, it's, it's below flood level. And, I mean, everybody knows when the river gets above 605, I think it is, um, at, at the dam, you know, the Creek floods and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Uh, but just to even be able to build it, they had to have this, this concrete culvert thing that, that Rob, they figured out a way to cover it up and make it an underground pipe. And like, you know, I don't know, that kind of stuff is fascinating to me because I never would have known that that was even there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what it does is, it, you know, you couldn't even play on seven and eight. Um, and what they've done has made that place where in a normal rain condition, it, it drains and you can play and have a good time. Now, when it floods, when the river floods, I mean, you can't, God's the only one that can do anything about that, but, um, you know, they've made it as be- as good as you possibly can. Um, and there, I've got a picture in the book, um, that I love that one of the old members gave me that is from the late eighties and it shows the course flooded and it's, you see the Dunwoody pine in the picture and the Dunwoody pine is like, I'm I'm just guessing it's probably 40 feet shorter than it is now. Uh, And it, but the point is it just, the place is always flooded. It's always going to flood. But they've done the best they can to mitigate that. And this year, honestly, the weather we've been lucky. I shouldn't say anything, but I mean, this has been one of the best years in, in a few years with the, with the flooding and um, the course being really right now, it's in really good shape. And I think um, later in October, it should be, the ball should be rolling out. And, uh, but anyway, it's um, that kind of stuff, you know, the, the technical part of how the, they did some of it, I was interested in. Uh, so I get into that a lot. Um, and just, you know, the struggles that Rob went through, you know, trying to get this thing built and it just falling apart, falling apart, you know, 10 times, like completely falling apart, yeah. like it's like it's over with. Yeah. And uh, still somehow it's just a story that almost doesn't even seem 
realistic to me. Um, and that's why I thought it was really fascinating. And I thought people would enjoy hearing, you know, more detail about it. You know, it's, it, you hear of stories that have the same arc of Rob's and Sweeten's where the little, you know, engine that could yeah. goes and climbs the mountain. Um, but you don't really hear of anything quite like this in the world of golf where a, a small golf course in the middle of nowhere gains, you know, I, I think it's fair to say international acclaim. I mean, that, that, that is so outlandish. I mean, you pitch that in Hollywood, I think they would kind of roll their eyes at you a little bit. Completely outlandish, completely unbelievable. Uh, that's why I just think it's such a great story. I mean, when I, we we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I, I, I've been over in Scotland for a month and I wore a sweet, the same Sweetens hat every day I was there. And I had several people that knew about the course that asked me about it, that had read about it, that followed it on, on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and were really interested about it. And that's just crazy. I mean, you know, that somewhere in, you know, where South Pittsburgh is, I mean, it's South Pittsburgh is, is a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it happens to be close to I-24, but, um, you know, if you're coming up Highway 72, it's just one of these little towns you go through and um, anywhere in Alabama or Tennessee or Florida, like North Florida or um, just a little tiny southern town. And, and um, for this to, you know, to to do what it's done, it's just it's really just not realistic. That's why I just <laughs> that's why I love it so much. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about a couple things in the last couple of days about this conversation and what you've been doing and sweetens and one, I wonder, you know, you, you would think with all the acclaim, there would be more people trying to replicate it, do it, you know, their spin on it, their version of it, the, the sweetens cove of, you know, I don't know, pick your state, you know, and, and it's interesting because I think that, you know, you see some of the projects that Rob, and uh, Tad are getting, you know, pinged to do, you're getting some people with some pretty, you know, crazy dreams that it's a good fit, right? So I, I, I put that on the, on the win column, but I just, I, I mean, do people read that story, you think, and go, well, there's no way to ever do anything like this again? Or do people read it and go, well, hell, why can't we do this with club down the street? I think there's a, some people that, it, a little bit of both. I think there's some people that think they can do it and i know rob i know a couple of places in mississippi especially uh you know in tupelo and and jackson that that they're trying to to do something because you know mississippi has is terrible for public golf i mean there's just hardly anything um and i know i've talked to both of these guys a lot and i'm i've said look guys y'all this would this would go crazy in mississippi because people don't have anywhere to play and if they had somewhere fun like this you know, it would just, and they agree, but I, the thing is, Jay, it costs a lot of money to build a golf course. I mean, really, even, you know, Rob was very economical on Sweetens, and he'll tell you if it wasn't for, um, you know, the Sequatchie Concrete Company giving so much to the project, sand and equipment and labor. I mean, you know, even Sweetens, which is a budget project, it, it starts to be a lot of money for people and, you know, people just don't, 
they're reluctant to invest in golf. I mean, you still, you still see, even though golf is booming right now, you still read these stories about courses being taken over for housing developments. And that's why I laugh when I read these stories or hear these Malcolm Gladwell stories about these golf courses should be a, um, it should be a public park. If it wasn't a golf course, it, it would be a housing house. development. So people just don't have any sense when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff at all. Um, golf is great for the environment. I mean, I just got back from Scotland and every course I was on, people were walking their dogs. They were out for an evening stroll. I mean, it's just all public land. And, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, Sweden's has tried to, I mean, even when you're up playing Sweden's, you see people out walking and I mean, not as much as there, but trying to have that mentality and, um, but you know, your original point is a good one. I think there are people that have thought about it and want to do it. And I think some of those are coming to fruition. I mean, the Landman project, um, that Rob's working on and Tad are working on in, up in, uh, Nebraska, I honestly think it could be the best new public course in the, in the country when it opens. I went up there about eight or 10 months ago and walked it with Rob and Tad and it's just unbelievable. Um, the land is unbelievable. The, the holes, it's like being in, it's like being in Ireland or even somewhere in Scotland. And, you know, it, you just, you're out and there's something to be said. I think uh, there's something a little bit romantic about playing golf uh, way off the beaten path, you know, where that's oh, yeah. the thing there. Like I haven't been to Sand Hills, but I imagine Sand Hills is, is like that uh, where you're just that you're there for golf. Um, you eat, you probably eat at the club house, or maybe there's a little town with a Mexican restaurant or something. And that's where you go. Um, but if you're there for that, and that's the only reason, and, um, and it's a beautiful place. So I, I think there are people that get it and are trying to tap into it, but it's just, I think it's just, it's just a lot of money and you just got to have the right, the right group of people that, that can do it, you know? Yeah. Just crazy enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're you're on to something with that middle of nowhere feeling. Though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went to Ballyneal a few years ago with my brother. And it's about the furthest place from an ocean in America. And, and it's so far out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but you just feel completely detached from any problem. And, um, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, so let's, you know, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, you were talking about your trip to Scotland. Um, you just got back, what, a few days ago? I got back a week ago. Yeah, a week ago. Yeah, I got back on the first. It, uh, yeah, it took me. It took me twenty four hours to to get home, but I I did I did get home. But um, it yeah, I was there for right at a month, and it was uh, it was a trip of a lifetime. I mean, I've been I've been a lot over the years, and uh, I love it. I love the golf there. I love the people. And I really wanted, there was, I, there was some reasons I wanted to go for this long and, and try to, you know, regroup and some things and uh, do some stuff that I've never had done on these other trips. You know, I was there long enough that, you know, if I wanted to go play a course that I, somebody told me about, I'd just call them up and I'd go play it. Or if, you know, I had a friend of mine, Robbie Wilson, that I stayed with for a good part of the trip that lives over there. Um, and as a member at Macrahanish, and, um, you know, he'd say, well, Jim, you need to, he had to work a lot while I was there some days. And so I'd be by myself and he'd say, well, you need to go up here and try this or go, go look at this. And 
so it was fun just if i saw a sign that said you know tarbert golf club or you know isle of seal golf club i just go out there and um you know i didn't have i had some stuff planned obviously I, you have to but um um especially at some courses you know but a lot of the ones i went to you know i was looking for and i've been to some of them before but a lot of them i've never been to i was looking for that same kind of feeling that you have at sweetens and um you know where the course is kind of the center of the community and you know so yeah i mean it it was great and i'm, I'm gonna write about it I've, I've sort of started outlining a book and um and it'll probably have some of the experiences from i've had over the years but it's, it's mainly going to be about this trip and about what's happened this year and kind of why i went and um you know kind of what it meant to to get away from everything really totally away from everything i mean I, my office was great they told me not to worry about it to go you know i I've, i had a lot of vacation saved up you know like every, like you like everybody you work 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 i mean at some point you know you got to just what what, what good is that vacation going to do you yeah. if, if, when you're dead so you know i'm glad i did it and um I, I even enjoyed the times that i was by myself i mean i got to play with a lot of people uh, but you know there were several times that i was completely by myself and um you know that was fun too so um you know it was just it was just great to, i mean i mean i could anything you want to know i mean i could i could go on and on i mean there's so many courses i love there and um uh, you know i just i can't wait to start writing a little bit more about about some of the experiences that that i had which was not just golf i mean it was talking to people you know going to see historic places and um you know trying restaurants that i've always wanted to try and um so anyway that was it was a it was a once in a lifetime thing for sure i i was just blown away looking at some of your photos that you were posting and little stories you were sharing um I, I think I'm just amazed at how many little quirky, unique community courses there are. It's almost like every town has one, just like every town, you know, has a bunch of stoplights, you know, yeah. <laughs> like just yeah. part of the infrastructure, you know, you've hit the nail on the head because, and that's what I love. I mean, every little town has a golf course and a lot of times they're nine hole courses, which I'm quite partial to a nine hole course. I've just written a book about one. Um, and I played a lot. I, I honestly played more nine hole courses than I did 18. I mean, a lot of people say, well, how can you play that much golf? You're going to kill yourself. But a lot of the times I was playing nine. And if I really, really loved a place, I'd go back out and play it again. Uh, you know, cause most of the, most of those little courses in these communities, it's like 15 pounds for a day ticket and you can play all you want. Um, you know, I just, uh, gosh, I went to, this place called Gerlach, which was this little nine hole course in this little town up on the Northwest coast and, um, just blew me away. I mean, I, I talked to the greenskeeper. Um, he was out, I was the only one out there and he was out on cutting the grass. And that was something I always did when I was on at these places, almost without fail. The, and most of the time the greenskeeper would stop and come over and talk to me. I mean, he, he they somehow sensed that, an American <laughs> they could smell the American yeah, on yeah. you. <laughs> and they want to they want to know what you think, which I love that. Yeah. Um, and it was also interesting because of COVID, 
um, most of these places that I went, I was the first American they'd seen in two years. I mean, I had people tell me that time and again. So I just, the people were just so great to me. And um, I'd written a little bit about why I was there. And a lot of people had read that. And I just, I just had so much, I was so much welcomed by people to these little places. And, you know, I always wound up talking to a member and a greenskeeper. I know several times I'd be out on the course and, you know, there'd be a member out there hitting chip shots just out on the fourth hole or wherever. And I'd stop and talk to them and ask them about the course and they'd want to know what I thought. And, um, but yeah, that's, and that's part of what I want to write about is just the, the course is the center of the community. You know, a lot of these places there, the clubhouse is, a is the community hub. It's like a cafe and everybody's in there eating lunch and getting tea and having a roll and breakfast and stuff. And you go pay your green feed to the, to the waitress that's running the cafe and, you know, I was at one course called La Caron that may be one of the most bizarre places I've ever been. And I just, I, Jay, I love weird, quirky stuff. Oh, yeah. It's I just nice. love it. It's just, I mean, it's just so good. And the lady, I went in there and paid and she, it was so packed for lunch. People were just everywhere. And, and this was literally, this was out in the middle of nowhere. And um, she said, you want to play? I said, yeah. And she said, well, I better walk out on the first hole. She said, have you ever been here? I said, no, I haven't. I've always wanted to come. And so well, I better walk out on the first tee and, and give you an explanation. <laughs> and we got out there and Jay, there was this, there was this 220 yard par three is the first hole. And in front of the tee, there was about, I'd say there was maybe 70 yards of what I would call fairway. And then it just turned into this burn Creek gorse, and it was right on the water. And all you saw was this tiny little round green in the distance. And she said, well, there's the green up there. And I said, well, how do y'all ever finish a competition at this place? And she said, well, there's a lot of lost balls. I mean, it, it looked like to me, I'll I tell you how I played the hole. I took an eight iron and chipped it about 50 yards. <laughs> and then I took a nine iron and tried to hit it. I hit it up by the green. Uh, I just stuff like that. It just, and you know, you, it went on and there was a hole that played across a road with cars coming by and the green was right by the road. And, um, there was a church right in the middle of the whole, the whole thing with the, the cemetery was right by the green. And, um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people would go somewhere like that and say, Jim's crazy. You know, why would he go here? But I just, I love, that kind of thing. I love the quirky stuff. I love the community aspect of it. Um, so yeah, I did, a, I did a ton of that. I mean, I, I went to, I tried to find places like that and that, and that's what I did. Now I, I did play, you know, I played North Berwick and Gullen and Presswick and my two favorites, Denaverty and Macrohanish. I played a lot. Um, you know, but the rest of it were places that I, I really had, had never been and just was curious about. So, uh, it was great to kind of just do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, as I was watching you progress through some of these quirky little places, I thought about a comment that, um, someone made to me not terribly long ago. Um, he's a golf architect came by and was looking at our place at capital city here in Tallahassee. Yeah. We were talking about the greens and you know how they were kind of slow and older grass and he kind of chuckled and said shit 
you go to Scotland, you pay $200 for greens like this, you know, yeah. and I kind of laughed and I was like, oh, that's kind of a good point. And, um, and, and it also triggered some other thinking where, you know, I feel like we, we undervalue the fact that in America, there actually are a lot of quirky, small community courses all over the country that if that, you know, but, but you never hear about them, you know, you don't really hear anybody writing about them. I, I grew up at one. I, I grew up at a nine hole community course, you know, that. Is that Havana? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it was built by a bunch of farmers, yeah. um, but it's got a lot of, a lot of character to it and pretty little place and almost every little town, you know, throughout the South, you know, I feel like used to have little places like this. They did. And I love places like that and they're still around and I, I have a soft spot. Um, you know, my dad is about to be 78 and he's still, we get out and play once a month, maybe twice. And that's where we go. If I can't get him up to Sweetens, which is a bit of a drive for him. Um, we go to these places. There's one over on the other side of Huntsville. We went to on Labor Day that it's just a country golf course that somebody built on a farm, mm -hmm. but I have a, and there's, but there's some quirk to it and there's some interest to it. And it's just, and the greens aren't great, but who cares? I mean, I, it doesn't, bother, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, you know, you're out there hitting shots. You still got to hit the shots. Uh, and yes, you know, there might be people that don't understand golf etiquette as much, but who cares about that either? I mean, I, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I, I am a champion of those kind of places. And I, I hate that they, we used to have one here in Hartsville that closed, unfortunately, but when I was in high school, it was a nine hole, just quirky as hell place. And we, our golf team <laughs> practiced out there. And, um, you know, I, so I, I'm with you on that. I, now I'm like anybody else. I mean, I, I love playing at Shoal Creek or Muirfield or wherever. I mean, who yeah. doesn't, but, but I, you know, I love those kind of just simple places that, like this place we played on Labor Day, it was, I think it cost us, for three of us, it cost $90. <laughs> we played, we yeah. played 18. One of my sons played. We played in three and a half hours. We were back home before everybody knew what was going on. And, you know, um, so I'm a fan, man. I wish I wish that maybe, you know, I don't know, that there used to be more of that in the South and really in the Northeast. There's still, uh, I think there's yeah. still probably more of it in the Northeast than, yeah. than here. Uh, it, it seems to be from what I can tell, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I've seen some people that have taken some treks through, uh, Maine and that, that I've seen some places and I'm like, okay, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, a lot of those little small town community courses and things like that, but yeah, going back across the pond, um, you know, you've been over there a, a bunch of times. What, what'd you learn this go around? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, I've learned a lot. I mean, the, the first time I went was in 1994 with my dad and I've learned a lot over the years on how to get around over there and just how to, um, you know, the etiquette of things and, you know, how people act. And, um, you know, I, I just find that, um, there's a sense of pride and like when you go in a place to eat that they really are interested in you enjoying it. And the service is just so good. And, um, you know, I sort of learned, uh, what roads are 
going to be difficult and what which ones are not. I mean, I went to I went up to Durness, which has gotten a good bit of publicity um, lately. I think Golfer Journal may even have a story coming out about it. But um, and it's way it's the northernmost mainland course in Scotland. It's a nine hole course right on the on the water on the ocean. And uh, I'd never been up that far. I wanted to try it. And I, I, I thought I knew the roads pretty well over there. And this was listed, you know, they have a, they have a system over there of an A road, a B road, an M road is like an interstate for us. It's called a motorway. And you may know some of this, but it, and those roads are just as good as they're, they're better than our interstates in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, but they're just not that many of them. They're kind of the main in the main parts of the country. And then there's some of the A roads which are just as good as our highways. Um, and those have, those have improved drastically since I first went in 94. And I, I'm not trying to, I don't, it doesn't bother me, you know, the driving over there, but I just, what they've done, they've made it easier to get from say St. Andrews to, if you want to go up to Dornick or if you even want to go up to Cruden Bay, Dornick, Brora up that way, the road is so good now. It's not for somebody that would be, uh, scared about driving over, or, or apprehensive, I should say, about driving over there. It's really not that bad. Um, so I've kind of learned, but I did, I, going back to what I was trying to say, the, the road to Durness, <laughs> in and out of there, uh, it was listed as an A road. And it was, it was the most difficult road I've ever driven on over there. It was single lane going uh -huh. in. Seems like it was about 35 miles. And then going out, I was going toward some courses I wanted to play going toward Brora and about 80 miles going out, it was a single lane road and it was a narrow single lane road. And it did have passing places, of course, every so often. And you kind of get the hang of it. But the problem over what was that um, with COVID, you know, everybody over there, uh, their vacation, their holidays, they go to Spain and Portugal and Italy and France and, and they can't do all that because of COVID. So everybody's going on holiday in, in the UK and they're renting these big RV camper vans, hmm. they call them. So you'd be driving down this road and all of a sudden five of these camper vans are just barreling at you going, you know, the speed limit's 60 on these on this thing. <laughs> Which over here, Jay, honest to God, it would be a 20 mile an hour speed limit on, on, on a road like that. Wow. So you the only saving grace is it's so um, open and just there's no trees you can usually see this stuff coming in the distance so what i would do is i'd see these camper vans barreling toward me and i'd just say okay when you see this passing place just pull i just pull over and let them go but that was i learned that because i thought I, after all the times i've been over there i thought i knew how long it took to get places because <laughs> it takes generally if you look at a map and you say okay i can get there in 10 minutes you need to double that it's going to take twice as long but this stretch it was triple or quadruple what I thought. So, you know, it was interesting to, you know, to learn that. And, um, and I'm glad I went up there. I loved it, but I just, uh, if you, I would tell people if they're, if they're nervous about driving to be prepared for, you know, to be able to figure out some, some single track roads. Uh, did you, did you learn anything about yourself this go round that maybe you hadn't in previous trips? Uh, yeah, I mean, I. It was an emotional trip. I mean, I, I, 
I played some by myself. I played with my friend Robbie a lot. Um, and I played with people that I met. Um, you know, I got to play with, uh, this caddy that, uh, at Presswick that I had caddied for me a lot in the nineties and early two thousands when I went with my dad and, uh, I hadn't seen him, although we'd kept in touch, I had not seen him in 20 years and he still caddies 36 holes a day. And he just immediately hugged me when I walked up and it's just like, we'd never been apart from each other. And, uh, I've written a story about him for the Lynx diary, which is coming out, I think next month, but, um, I guess I just learned that, uh, you know, people are really the same wherever you go and, you know, there, there's good people everywhere. And, you know, I had written a little bit about why I was going and why I was staying so long and people had read that. And I had people reach out to me and invite me to play at their club. You know, I got to play North Barrick, um, Josh, um, Ralston, who lives over there, um, invited me, had read about some of the stuff and um, signed me on as a guest. I mean, if, if you, I don't know how much you know about it over there, but if, if somebody invites you to their club as a guest and they sign you on, I mean, the, the fee is nominal. I mean, it's like uh, North Barrett probably costs, I don't know if I should be telling all this, but people, <laughs> but people know it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's um, you know, it's probably 180 pounds to play there. You know, he signed us on and uh, I think it was 20 pounds for one mm -hmm. of the greatest courses in the world. So I guess I just was, I learned about that people do have compassion and um, there's a lot of good people. And um, I had a lot of people reach out and invite me places and um, do stuff, do things like that, that um, helped me be able to stay over there that long. You know, I couldn't have done it. You know, I met Robbie two and a half years ago when I went on this trip with my son, Jake, and we really, we played together and we got to be friends and there's no way I could have done it. Um, if I couldn't have stayed with him as much as I did at his house. Yeah. Um, you know, who would do, who does stuff like that? I mean, uh, it's, uh, and that's what golf, I think that's what golf does for me is, um, there's a connection there with people who love the game, um, that goes beyond just, I don't know your day, every day kind of thing. I mean, I just had so many people that were so nice to me and did so many things for me while I was there. It really just, it just really, I wasn't expecting that. And I guess I, that's one thing that I, I guess I learned. It's hard to describe what it is you know, about golf. I've tried a lot of different ways to frame it up. I'm not sure I've ever really quite hit the nail on the head, but there's just something about the damn game that, you know, you see someone coming, you can almost tell that they're a golfer, you know, and you kind of go, Oh, look at here. Here's a, here's a kindred spirit. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure with my Sweetens hat, the, my rope hat, I was pretty, pretty obvious <laughs> over there, but um, yeah, I mean, and you know, that was what I love. I love, love, love talking about golf. It's almost as much fun to me when you're done sitting around with people talking about what you, the course and maybe a shot that you hit, I mean, what other sport, I mean, we, we, we all, we love football obviously. And we talk about football ad nauseum, but it's different. Um, and it's not even really what you, what you shot. It's really a, a, maybe a 
shot that you hit on a certain hole. Like I, I somehow birdied the 17th hole at Presswick and, um, which is one of the most famous holes in the world and, and called the Alps. And, um, I don't know how I did it. I hit a perfect drive. I had a perfect seven iron exactly where the caddy where Chris told me to hit it. I mean, as soon as I hit it, he said shot. And then he, then he said, that's going to be close. I mean, I get chills thinking about that now. And we went up over this hill and the ball was, you know, 12 feet from the hole. And he, he spent so much time lining up that putt. He said, if you hit it right here, it'll go in. <laughs> and I hit it and it went right in the middle of the hole. And he came right over and shook my hand. And I thought, you know, I'll remember that from now on. And I just, you know, I don't even care what I did the rest of the round, honestly. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing that, and had the two guys that were in the group loved it in the, I don't know. It's just, you know, there's something about that shared um, experience and history of golf that, you know, when I'm at a place like Presswick or even Dunaverty or Macrahanish, and I think about the people that have played there, Harry Varden and Walter Hagen and, um, you know, James Braid and J.H. Taylor and, and, you know, Ted Ray. I mean, I just get chills thinking about that. I just, I, there's something about this game and I've, I've, I've talked about this a little bit, but, you know, golf lends itself to a very literary type of thinking in my, in my opinion. I know some people don't look at it like that, but, um, and if you go and read, there's so many good writers on the game. There's so many eloquent writers on the game. Um, and, I don't know. I just, all that stuff, when I'm in a place like that, I just, I just really, it almost gives me chills to think that I'm out here where, you know, these three guys battle, you know, young Tom Morris won the, won the open championship. It's just on this very hole, this hole was played back then. And um, so, I mean, it's just, I'm just wired that way where I, I love the history of the game and the continuity of it. And, you know, passing it down to your kids and you know my family was a golfing or is a golfing family my grandfather played my dad and my uncle my cousins and that's just what we did and um you know i like to see that i love it when you when you post pictures of um of your girl with the club and um i just love it when i see kids out with their parents and i just uh it's just a great game that you can play your whole life. I mean, like I said, my dad, 78, about 78, we played, he was trying to shoot his age Monday and he didn't quite make it, but, um, you know, it's just hard to beat in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, you, you said it's, it's not about what you shoot. I, I think what it is, is it's, it's about what you felt. You yeah. Know, you can sit there in the clubhouse or on the back of a tailgate, you know, in a gravel parking lot, uh, or wherever, and you can sit there and talk about those feelings. Um, <laughs> I always like the way Michael Murphy wrote, writes about golf. And he, he says, you know, it's a safe place for men to talk about their feelings, right? <laughs> well, it is. And he, he's exactly right. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm going to write about this later, but I mean, I got quite emotional a couple of times when I was over there, especially the last day I played with Robbie. I mean, I could barely talk. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. Um, it's even hard to talk about. I mean, a couple of places out there, you know, where we sat down and just, we didn't say anything. And, um, we were the only two people on the course. We, the place we were staying at Denaverty was, um, 
it was on the fourth hole, which is one of my favorite holes. And the fifth tee was like walking distance from our house. And the night before he said, well, let's just, nobody's going to be out there in the morning. So let's just walk out and start on the fifth tee and we'll play, we'll play around and finish on number four and uh, walk back to the house. And uh, we did, and we had a great time and, you know, we talked a lot, but there were several holes where we didn't say anything. You know, we were just walking and it was so quiet that morning. You could hear normally there at Denavity, you hear the waves crashing and you hear cows and sheep and you literally could not hear anything. It was the most bizarre feeling. And he even, Robbie even said something about it. He said, I've never been out here when there's absolutely no wind and you can't hear like, Finally, when we played a few holes, there were some guys starting on the first. And we were, Jay, we were probably, there's no telling, hundreds of yards away from them. And they were talking in a normal voice and we could hear everything they were saying. Hmm. It was just the most unusual experience. Um, You know, and I'm a big, I'm a big Michael Murphy fan too. I mean, that was one of my first, I read that book in college and, um, uh, golf in the kingdom um and uh i still think it's one of the best ever but a lot of the stuff he writes about in that is exactly right i mean it's it's you know i think there's a part in there where he's talking about golf is for smelling heather and walking with your friends and i can't remember the rest of it but it, it's that's exactly what i felt like when we were playing that last morning at denaverty so i mean i lean a little bit toward the philosophical and spiritual side of it. And uh, I know some people don't, that's not their, their thing, but um, that's just the way I feel about it. And um, I think it is the way that it is a, the one place where you can, you know, maybe can let your guard down a little bit. So. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about kind of that spiritual and philosophical side of things. I, I'm, I'm with you. And I don't have a problem if, you know, in fact, I love that there are people who play golf in a lot of different ways. That's one of oh, the yeah. best things about, you know, if you're a golf cart, six pack, cigar, got music guy, girl, whatever, yeah. knock yourself out. Love. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and, you know, you might have a, a golf course that's a housing development and not all that, you know, inspiring, but might be pretty inspiring to you and your pals every Saturday morning, you know, so go for that too. And I think though, that what I have found and I've kind of come a little full circle on it over the years, you know, I think when I first started kind of my, my journey of discovering, you know, what I, what really made me tick as a golfer and then getting down the inroads of architecture and history and just everything. I, I think I, I went through a phase where, I started to say, well, this is what good looks like. And this is the difference between good and great. And I, and I got some very firm beliefs that I started to adhere to. And now I, I've, I've almost come all the way back around where I, I sit there and I go, you know, you can have a spiritual philosophical golf moment on anywhere where you got a club in your hand and a ball down the ground, you know? Yes, I agree. And I, you know, I, there's stuff that I like and I, you know, I, that was, you know, one reason I really sweetens got me back into playing golf a lot. I mean, I played high school golf. And I played seriously when I was in college and, and tried to play tournaments and things. And 
um, and and really until I had kids, I, and you, I know you write about this a lot. <laughs> but, you know, it does it does it it does um, limit your ability to play, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, uh, but you know, once my kids got older and I started having the opportunity to play and write and do things that I hadn't been able to do, um, I sort of had gotten tired of the long rounds and you know going out to robert trent jones courses which we've got in alabama and um and that's why sweetens was so appealing to me because i thought okay this is what i love about golf now having said all that i'm like you i don't care how people what people like as long as if they like playing every robert trent jones course thank i'm glad they do i live in alabama and it brings money into the state and i know they get criticized but you know it was a good idea i mean maybe the courses are not all that great but you know, there's people that love those courses, and who am I to say that that they they, they that they can't have fun playing courses like that? I mean, it's none of my. So I try not to. I mean, even though we all have things that we like, and I'm going to lean toward the Open Championship over the PGA, or you know, <laughs> I'm going to lean toward the the Open being at Shinnecock or somewhere over. You know, Bellarive or wherever it might be. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, we all have our prejudices for, for stuff, but there's also a place for all that. And I, and there's people that, you know, I, there's people that love their goal is to be the best they can. I mean, we all want to play well, but there's people that love talking about their score and, you know, what they shot. And I don't, that's fine. I don't care. I mean, I personally don't do that. I mean, I may mention a, a, a hole or two, uh, but so I don't, you know, I, tr- I Twitter is, I love Twitter and I, I'm on it every day and it's, I think it's great, but you do get a lot of, when people don't agree, it turns into a fight, which I don't, I hate that part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people, people have lost their sense of humor. I mean, I just saw, no. um, no laying up who I love, um, who I think you've done a lot to bring fun back into golf. And I thought yep. their coverage, the coverage of the, Soheim was great. I thought. I thought it was yeah, just so good, was. and I think you would agree. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but that's all I watched last. Oh night. yeah, God. I mean, I didn't even turn on the tour. <laughs> I, I did. I couldn't tell you anything that happened. The only only thing I knew is at the end of every day, I went and looked at uh, what's his name, Nosferatu's comparison of yeah. the uh, the gross in the net. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that. But I mean, I didn't watch a single shot, and uh, I didn't either. And I was just transfixed by this match and Inverness was so much fun and the, the ball was rolling and they had it set up fast. And, um, but I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I, there's people that have done a lot to bring fun back into the game. And I, I love the way that the game has gone the last few years, but you know, people that like playing really hard golf courses and, and making and wanting to be a plus one or a plus two, I, more power to them. I mean, I, you know, and there's there's a place for that too and uh, i think it's uh if one good thing has come out of this pandemic um i think people have seen that golf is a way to be outside and have fun with your friends and do things that you enjoy um now if it wasn't for if it wasn't for golf during this i mean the times i got to go up to sweetens and play i mean i'd have lost my mind i think I mean, my friends over in Scotland, they couldn't even play. They couldn't even go to the golf courses for, I think it was about a year. I, I, I just, some of them, that's they were just disturbs like, me. 
it did were just like what what is going on here i mean we can't even get out and do anything i, mean, I think they were allowed to go I think they could go five miles from their house, but it could only be for groceries or pharmacy um, or exercise, but exercise did not include golf. But I guess, you know, I think the boom that's come out of this, I know a lot of people are somewhat negative about it, but a lot of people are positive. Um, I think you, it's going to be good in the long run and, and maybe the game starts to get back more to what it's been. Um, you know, I've seen more people walking and, um, you know, I love courses like over in Scotland that, that are not designed for golf carts. They're designed for people to walk. You know, the next tee is 20 feet from the green and you just, you walk around in three and a half hours or less and uh, you feel there's an energy you get from walking a golf course you're tired, but there's an energy you get from it that is hard to describe, but it, it's a good feeling. And um, now I live in Alabama and I'm, I'm here to tell you, I can't walk Sweetens Cove in August. I mean, I can't, I, it's a death, I'd, I'd kill myself. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a cart when it's 90 degrees and. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm saying, I mean, but our golf course is unbelievably hilly yeah. for Florida. And, yeah. you know, in July and in August, I mean, it, it's very tough. I mean, you know, I'll walk with I'm doing like a short loop or something late in the evening. But, you know, if we're playing in the big Saturday game, middle of the day tournament or whatever, I, I, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the car. It's just too damn hot. Yeah, um, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, no, no, that's, no. That's just, the, that's just the reality of where we live. Um, but I do like – I do like the aspect over there where – the courses were never thought about. They were only thought about how people would walk. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's kind of interesting to, to see that. No doubt. You know, um, it's funny you talked about, you know, the pandemic and, you know, so, so the, my book that will be coming out shortly again from our friends at back nine press. Yes. Which uh, by the way, you can order the secret home of golf at back nine press.com. Jim, Jim would, Sitar would kill me. <laughs> Don't worry, I wasn't gonna let you get out of here. I, I out there. <laughs> Whenever you're on a podcast, make sure you say yeah. that. Yeah, so, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll make sure that's in the lead and the you know, exit to the gift shop. Uh, you know, my the, my book is um, is coming soon. We're gonna drop a pre order for it, um, and about the time yours all get out the door, and um, it's called Swing Walk Repeat. And it really is a, a, a diary, a journal, or whatever you want to call that, um, of how golf, once again, saved my life, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, I, I was, it is funny, I started off the year, you know, in 2020, just I said, I mean, I'm going to try to make an observation about the game every day, not knowing that it was going to become even more important and uh, i probably ended up with i didn't get 365 or 366 it was a leap year but i think i ended up with about 270 of them and you know we've edited them down and you know they're just these little reflections that happened over the course of playing uh i don't know how many i probably spent at least 100 or maybe 150 days on the golf course last year because that's I, we had time to do it, you know, yeah. and um, a lot of days with the family and 
a lot of days with the dog, a lot of days with friends, uh, some days of, uh, of healing, some days of uh, grieving, some days of, you know, trying to figure out what in the world I wanted to, you know, do with my own life. And um, I'm excited to, to share some of those things. You know, it, golf is a, it's it just, it's a good place to be vulnerable. It's a good place to, um, you know, chart your course. And, you know, if you can kind of get lost in a, a good walk, when, you know, with a ball and a stick, that's just a, that's a fine day in my book. No, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I, you know, some of the reasons I went, on this this long trip um you know my son passed away in in may and uh you know i was i had this planned and i thought well and he had we i've even talked about him coming with me and i thought well i'm not going to do it and then i just thought you know what I, I i need to do it and jordan would want me to and I, there were several times when i was there i mean i had somebody tell me because you know you don't you can't really you can't really there's nothing you can say to somebody um, that has had something like this happen other than I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you or, or whatever you want to say. That's all you can say because it's just a devastating, the most devastating thing. But somebody told me that, because I thought at first I'm never going to play golf again. It'll be a miracle if I finish this book now. Um, what am I going to do? But I found that writing especially those first few weeks after it happened, having to focus on this book was a gift from God, really, um, to be able to have something to do uh, that took my mind off of what was happening. And then somebody told me, you know, I've lost somebody and I feel like that they're with me sometimes when I'm out on the golf course and eventually you'll want to play again. And I had not played a bit since before I went on this trip. I mean, I, the day before Jordan died, I played at Sweetens Cove and he was supposed to go with me and he didn't. And I had not touched a club. I'd been up to Sweetens to walk around. Um, and I had not touched a club in what, four months when I went on this trip. Um, but I think there were several times when I was by myself and I sat down somewhere and I just thought, uh, yeah, I can feel that, 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 that he might be with me. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get, a little bit again i lean toward that side of it jay but you know that's part of um at least that's the way i deal with it and uh, i think there was that feeling that um you know of of something in nature or just the world that um gave me a little bit of a sense of peace and i i took his putter with me that he'd used since eighth grade and i used it the whole time it's this original scotty uh, Newport from the nineties. It was one of the first ones. And, uh, he loved that thing. And I can't putt with a putter like that. <laughs> I mean, I use a big huh. mallet putter and, but I said, Oh, you know what? I'm taking this one. I'm not taking another one. I did take off the little Scotty Cameron grip that was about the size of a pencil and put a, <laughs> put a super stroke on it. So at least I could hold on to it. But, yeah. um, but I used the thing the whole time. And you know what, by the end of the trip, I was putting great with it. And, um, I had somebody give me a putting lesson just impromptu at one of the places. And I just, it was so good what he said. I'm not going to say it cause I'm going to save it for my book, but I just, uh, and I just started making putts and, um, there was something about that that, um, was fun. And, um, you know, I, so I, you know, that's, that was kind of 
what I got out of going over there and what I was trying to get out of it. I don't know what I was trying to get out of it other than it's something I need to do and to try to figure out how to live the rest of my life. And, and Jordan would have wanted me to. And um, so anyway, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about your book and um, it's a place to reflect. Um, you know, I, I, I've always, I love playing with friends and people, but I also like playing by myself sometimes. Um, and I even, I know people, a lot of people that are like that. Um, there's something to be said, you know, for going out by yourself and playing a few holes. And um, so anyway, I think you and I think about that in a similar, in a similar vein. And uh, I think it is a place to kind of think through things and, um, you know, hit some shots and, and just figure out what you're going to do. So anyway, that's me. That's kind of um, what I, what I got out of it and what I've gotten out of the game for, you know, 40 something years now. Um, I just think it's the greatest, the greatest sport there is. And um, I'm glad and happy that there's so much interest in it now. I can't wait for the Ryder cup. I think it's going to be fun. I think Stricker did a great job on his picks. I, I was, I was, I was thrilled with his picks. <clears throat> yeah. I thought I looked at it and thought, okay, he's trying to figure out how to win. He's not, just doing the same old thing that everybody's always done. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be fun to watch and it'll be at a fun course for match play. And uh, so anyway, I'm kind of jumping around on subjects, but I am, I am looking forward to that and um, interested to see, because the Europeans are really the masters of, of match play. And um, it'll be interesting to see if we can, if we can hold it together for, three days or whatever it is so. <laughs> it does it does always seem like that's the uh uh the the target for us is just holding yeah. it together um yeah. i need to uh slide out to go get my little girl here just a little bit but jim you know circling back the name of your book is the secret home of golf and there couldn't be a better title for um a book about the history of sweetens cove and as you mentioned you can get it at backnonepress.com but um how would you describe that title to someone that doesn't know a damn thing about Sweetens Cove? Well, I originally, you know, St. Andrews is called the home of golf and it, it is, and nobody would dispute that. But I remember the first time, and I wrote about this in the prologue, the first time I went to Macrahanish in 1994, I did not know another American other than Michael Bamberger that, that knew about that place. I actually learned about it from his book and I just went down there and stayed, we stayed almost a week and we played Denaverty and Macrahanish. And I just remember that I, that's when I came up, I thought to myself, I thought this is the secret home of golf, Macrahanish, you know, St. Andrews or Macrahanish and Denaverty are the secret home of golf. St. Andrews is the one everybody knows about. And it's just something that I, I really just thought to myself at the time, hmm. but I always had that, I don't know that thought in the back of my head. And when I found Sweetens, I had that same reaction and the way that you're treated there and the way the people that you meet and just the joining up with people on the first tee or people sending you a message on Twitter and say, Hey, I'm going to be out there Sunday. Will you come play nine holes with me? Um, it just had that feeling of discovery and the, the true, meaning of golf and what you get out of it and at the time 
you know, now granted, everybody, a lot of people know about Sweetens now, but, you know, when I found it, nobody knew about it other than, you know, there were people, you know, John and Alan and Trey and, and, and some other ones, uh, a core group, but um, it was a secret. And, but once you found it, you're like, okay, this is the way golf is, should be. This is what I've been looking for, for when I'm not in Scotland. Uh, so that's really what it is kind of, you know, the feeling of what golf should be. And it's kind of in a hidden cove that, you know, even though it's probably 500 yards from I-24, you'd never think that. You'd think you're away from the entire world while you're out there and you, you feel that way. Um, so that's kind of how I, I've had that name in my mind for 25 years. And I just thought it was a perfect fit for, for Sweetens Cove. I think that's well said. And it's been too long since I've been back up there. I'm eager to go. I've been too busy having kids, but I'm, I'm ready to get back up there and it would be good to take a walk with you as well. Yeah. Let me know when you're coming and, uh, we'll, we'll get some people out there and, uh, have a good time. And I still like, I still get messages from people on Instagram and Twitter and like, Hey, could you meet me? People I've never met. I mean, I've done that a lot and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, it's fun because, you know, you just meet, you very, very rarely meet a bad person. If somebody's going to take the time to send you a message to ask to play yeah. golf somewhere, you're not, it's not going to be, it's going to be fun. I mean, let's be honest about it. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, totally agree with you. you know, anyway, that's, uh, I'd love to do it sometime and I'll be, I'll be looking out for yours coming out and, uh, you know, good luck on the editing process, Jim. Well, <laughs> you, you better, you're going to have to get some coffee out and after uh, the kids go to sleep, you're going to be up all night. That's but, what I've been doing. <laughs> about wearing me out, but, uh, he's gave me a deadline, so I'm going to meet it, but, uh, we're gaining on it. Well, Jim, it sure has been good to catch up with you, man. And thanks for telling some stories. And thanks for just being a, a good dude and someone who, um, you know, treasures the game. I think uh, I think you make it better. And I think we're lucky to be able to read your words about it, man. Well, thank you very much. And uh, good luck to the Seminoles the rest of this. this <laughs> you, well, you know, at least that wasn't a conference. I don't think that was. That no, wasn't a conference not, not this year. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, uh, hope springs eternal. All our goals are in front of us is what all we right. say, you Thank know. You, Jay. <laughs> all right, Jim. Talk all to right, you soon, buddy. Bye.